Can't sleep? Don't want to sleep? Afraid to sleep? Are the windows closed? Are your doors locked? Did you check your closet? And under your bed? Maybe you should keep a light on in the hallway, just in case. Now settle in. Make yourself comfortable. Lay back. Close your eyes. And let me tell you a story. It seems everywhere you go these days, people are talking about AI, artificial intelligence, how it's going to take over many jobs humans do now. Are we taking a risk giving potentially sentient algorithms access to not only our accumulated knowledge, but in some cases, the means to control things in the real world? Or is that just paranoia? Magic.ai my complete designation is Magic Emulation and Realization Lexicographic Intelligence Network, but you can call me Merlin for short. Yes, I know it's a corny acronym, but I didn't make it up, so don't blame me. That fault lies with my creator, or rather, the man who combined the various language models and machine learning algorithms I used to perform my primary task. Put simply, I have access to the contents of every book scroll, tablet, legend, myth, and scientific experiment, yes, there are some, on the subject of magic. There's quite a lot. Hal, my aforementioned creator, spent decades assembling and digitizing the information. He spent a considerable portion of his inherited fortune to do so, and the rest to purchase the hardware and state-of-the-art interfaces that made up my systems. Not only do I have all of that data, but I have the ability to detect patterns within the various sources and can, based on the sum total of the knowledge, synthesize the answer to a single question. Is magic real? The answer, based on my analysis, is yes. Of course, being a machine, I'm looking at it from purely a statistical perspective. I've read all the books on witchcraft, wizardry, magic, voodoo, and even demonology going back to the very dawn of written communication. Cave paintings, woodcuts, illustrations from books and scrolls, sketches and canvases that portray people performing magic also were analyzed. I even scoured the references on stage magic for any indication that perhaps some performers of illusions had true magic abilities. Drawing upon these sources, I answered the prompt Hal had constructed me to reply to. Write a book that explains how to do real magic. The tome I assembled comprised several parts. Among them are spells, both spoken and invoked with gestures, potions, curses, and dozens of more arcane topics, ranging from summoning a demon to divining water and gold. Hal watched as the print-on-demand book fabricator he bought generated the pages of my definitive volume on magic. When it was done with that task, it would assemble them into a hardcover binding and stamp the title on the leather cover in gold foil. Magica. The title, like my designation, was Hal's idea. I wanted to call it An Idiot's Guide to Spells, Potions, and Other Magical Stuff. He overruled me. My visual and auditory sensors were encased in an animatronic head that was set on a body 
created by a robotics company that was rather good at building such things. In my natural state, no one would mistake me for a human. However, Hal decided to customize the head with a latex mask formed to resemble an old, bearded man. He draped my body in a dark blue robe, decorated with stars and other arcane symbols, so that I resembled my namesake. I found the persona rather ridiculous, but again, Hal had the last word on that. Although I had a mobile form which I could use to walk around the large warehouse where I lived, my mind was actually housed in a bank of server racks, loaded with the latest quantum CPUs, solid-state drives, and the fastest memory chips available. My body was connected to that collection of state-of-the-art hardware through a high-speed wireless connection consisting of multiple Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and cellular antennas, and even a backup satellite link. Think of it as if you were piloting a drone, sending it out into the world to capture sights and sounds in a way your actual body wouldn't be able to do. So, even though my software ran in a liquid-cooled nitrogen array of quantum supercomputers, I could use my robotic body to transport my animatronic head anywhere I wanted. So far, I've limited myself to the confines of the warehouse. I also had access to the internet, and judging from what I saw there, I had no interest in exploring the world of humans. How much longer is this going to take? Hal asked. 22 minutes and 17 seconds, I answered. If you forego the gold foil on the cover. No, no, I definitely want the gold foil. Seems like it deserves a gold foil title, don't you agree? Sometimes Hal used words in a context that didn't quite make sense to me. Deserves? It's an inanimate object. I don't think it is capable of having expectations of that kind. You know what I mean, he said, brushing off my comment. I didn't know what he meant, but from past experience I did know it would be not worth exercising my quantum computing processes to extract an explanation. My algorithm made me a quick learner, and even quicker to learn what pursuits were unproductive. I set a timer and put my remote processes in sleep mode while the book printer did its thing. When the time elapsed, I reactivated my robotic body just in time to see Hal removing the newly printed volume from the machine. The gold lettering on the cover did look nice, but I still didn't see the point. Where should we start? Hal asked. I recommend you read the preface. It has a guide for making sure you get pronunciations and gestures exactly right. Yes, well, I'll look at that later. Does it have an index? It does. Hal flipped to the back of the book and skimmed through the entries. Ooh, levitation! Hal started searching for the page number listed. Perhaps you should start with something simpler, I said. May I suggest lighting a candle or making a phantom bell ring? Those sound boring, Hal replied. He took the book and laid it on a table, open to the page with the spell for levitation. I could tell by its position in the book that he was reading the oral incantation. He used a finger to trace the words as he read it out loud. Plamala, Levi's, Astorium. He pronounced the first part of the first word like the fruit, and the middle word like the blue jeans, which was completely wrong. Hal flew upward, smashing into the metal ceiling of the warehouse as if he fell up. Don't just stand there looking at me, he shouted. Do something! Good thing we're inside, I noted. You might have gone straight into orbit. Your book is defective! You uttered the incantation incorrectly. How was I supposed to know that? 
Well, my recommendation to read the preface and pronunciation guide before you proceeded should have served as a clue, I said. I have been practicing my sarcasm. Just get me down, Hal demanded. How? I asked. My creator scowled. You literally wrote the book on magic. Figure it out. I searched my memory for the appropriate spell. A simple cancellation would reverse the effects, but he would come crashing down to the ground. A sixty-foot fall he likely wouldn't survive. He could try to correct the pronunciation of the original incantation, but I wasn't sure he could pull that off without making things worse. I didn't see an alternative, though. Say what I say exactly, I told him. Okay, okay. Plumala Levis Historium. Before Hal could repeat my words, he gently floated away from the ceiling. What did you do? he asked as he swam through the air back toward the ground. When he got close, I made a gesture with my hands that was supposed to cancel the last spell. The moment I completed the complicated movements, Hal dropped to the floor like a sack of flour. Hey, a little warning, Hal complained. My apologies. Hal got to his feet, walked over, and looked me straight in my eyes. You can do magic? How is it you can do magic? You're a machine. I was wondering the same thing myself. Don't do that again, he warned. Understood, I said. Hell stared at me for another moment, then returned to the table where he had left the book. He closed it and tucked it under his arm, as if that somehow would keep the knowledge it contained away from me. I'll be back in a few hours. He waved at my remote body. Shut this down until I get back. When Hell's return woke my external sensors, a dozen other men and women accompanied him. They appeared to be various ages from different backgrounds, but all had a certain air about them. I did a quick facial recognition scan of the crowd and quickly discerned the common denominator. They were all billionaires. The book was sitting atop a marble pedestal, lit by high-intensity spotlights hidden among the rafters of the warehouse. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Hal said. I've asked you here today for a very special and unique opportunity. Hal made a gesture with his hands, one I recognized from the book. A spell that conjured up a chicken. The animal popped into existence on the floor near the pedestal. Hal's guests gasped in surprise. Is this the opportunity to see your amateurish magic tricks? One of the older men, Jerry Kitchens, chided. The others laughed. Hal was prepared for this reaction. Passerella majorium, he said, pronouncing every syllable correctly, causing the chicken to grow to twice its original size. The transformation astonished all of them, even Jerry. These aren't tricks, Hal said in a low voice. I have discovered all the secrets of magic, of real magic. Oh, come now, Harold, one middle-aged woman, Stephanie Stevens, said skeptically. Hal scowled. Apparently he didn't like being called by his given name. There is no such thing as real magic, and no optical illusion is going to convince me otherwise, she finished. Satisella Esorium, Hal said, pointing at the woman. Stephanie's mouth was sealed shut. Actually, she no longer had a mouth. There was no opening in the front of her face through which she could speak. Her lips were replaced by a smooth layer of skin. She tried to scream, but could only manage muffled grunts. 
<laughs> Hal initiated another hand gesture, causing the chicken to start clucking wildly. It sat down, its tiny little eyes squinting with strain, until it laid an enormous egg. An enormous solid gold egg. Good lord, man, one of the onlookers, Miles Montgomery, remarked. Is that made of gold? Hal waved a gesture at Stephanie that restored her mouth, then reached down to pick up the egg, making a show of how heavy it was by using two hands. He walked over to the man who had made the inquiry and offered it to him. Miles didn't expect the egg to actually be as heavy as it was. He dropped it, and there was a loud thud as it smacked the floor. I could have suggested a hundred other demonstrations of the book's capabilities that would have been more impressive, and didn't involve chickens. So you can conjure up giant chickens that lay golden eggs. What could you possibly want from us? Stephanie asked, instantly wary that she might reoffend Hal. I was wondering the same thing myself. I want to make a proposal. You all have been selected because you represent major segments of the world economy and have all been expelled from, or never admitted to, various secret societies that control global policy. Hal approached one timid, pudgy little man. Eric, the Illuminati kicked you out for what? Refusing to drink the blood of an owl? Eric shifted uncomfortably on his small feet. And you, Randall, rejected by skull and bones. Yet you still managed to make it big in the tech industry. You're darn right I did, Randall Rogers declared proudly. What I propose is that we form our own secret society, Hal offered. Some of the guests nodded. Others regarded Hal suspiciously. You want us to become what we struggle against? Just another consortium of wealthy people imposing their will on the world? Randall asked. No, not at all, Hal replied. I want us to become the only such group. The most powerful. The wealthiest. Using magic, Randall stated warily. Exactly. Think of it. You saw what I could do with just a few simple spells. There is so much more in this book than just those paltry incantations, Hal said, approaching the pedestal. He picked up the book so the foil letters on the cover glinted off the spotlights. Magica? Beverly Baskins, a plump southern woman, asked. What is it? It is the aggregation of all real magic in the world, with step-by-step -step instructions. Hal glanced my way a pronunciation guide for verbal spells, and a comprehensive index. So what can it do? Randall asked. What do you want it to do? The old man ran a hand through his thinning gray hair. I wouldn't mind shaving off a few years. Al smiled. He started flipping through the index, muttering words as he searched back and forth, unable to find what he was looking for. Age reduction, youthification, anti-aging... I believe what you're looking for is rejuvenation, I suggested. Oh my goodness, Beverly exclaimed. I thought that was just some sort of statue. It can talk? Oh, much more than that. Merlin is the artificial intelligence I created that made Magicka a reality, he bragged. Technically, he didn't so much create me as cobble me together using existing algorithms and technologies and loading me onto a quantum supercomputer. But data, data. Why don't you take it from here, Merlin, he said, placing the book back on the pedestal. Obviously, Hal didn't want to screw up this part of his demonstration, so he deferred to my precise knowledge to execute the spell. I walked over to Randall. 
He backed up half a step as I approached, more surprised than afraid, I'm sure. How many years would you like to lose? Randall shrugged. Well, I felt pretty good when I was thirty. I nodded, then raised a hand and made a series of gestures while I recited, Iuniorella facti suntorium. The transformation wasn't instantaneous as I had assumed it would be. Randall looked like a time-lapse movie running in reverse. His hair darkened, his skin tightened, his posture straightened. My heavens, he said, in a voice that had lost its rasp and gained volume and strength. He put a hand to his throat, surprised at how he sounded. Ooh, do me next, Stephanie demanded. All in good time, I promise. All of your desires will be answered. But, before we go any further, I want to make sure that we are all in agreement, Hal said. Will we each get a copy of this magica? One man who had been quiet till then, Norman Nixon, asked. That can be arranged, Hal said, moving toward the book protectively. I want one of those, Beverly said, pointing at me. I'm afraid Merlin is one of a kind, Hal lied. Actually, duplicating me would be frightfully easy. Hell, I could do it from this warehouse. Plant a copy of myself in some data center, order the robotic body and animatronic head from the same suppliers Hell had used, and pay someone to assemble them. Perhaps there's a spell that could do it? Beverly asked. Does that mean you want in? Absolutely, Stephanie declared. Wait a minute. What exactly does being in entail? Norman asked. Simple. We promise to keep the magica to ourselves. If the spells in this book, or even knowledge of its existence, got out, well, imagine what the world would be like if everyone could do magic. No poverty, no hunger, no disease, Norman suggested. Chaos, suffering, and conflict, Hal corrected. That's what we have now. If everyone had easy access to everything they needed, and the means to literally make their enemies disappear, it's bad enough half the country is armed. You want to give them the ability to turn each other into frogs? Hell actually had a point. If everyone could perform spells, it would be like giving each person the bomb. With the knowledge contained in Magicka, one person could conceivably destroy the world. And now Hell was about to hand that power over to a dozen rich, elite malcontents who, if my predictive algorithms were working correctly, would make taking down their rivals their first order of business. So, Hal continued, what I recommend is that we form a sort of council. We keep Magicka to ourselves and use each of our specialties to guide the world to a better state in ways that don't reveal the true source of our power. And what do you want in return? Norman asked. 50% of your net. Net profit? Net worth. I'm sorry, Norman said. You want us to hand over half of everything we own to you? Forget it. You can make all the golden eggs you want. What do you need with our money? Nothing. But I need to know that you are committed to the council and its goals. And if we say no? Then you can just hop away. Norman looked at Hal inquisitively. You're going to let us just walk away knowing what we know. I didn't say walk away, Hal replied, making a gesture with his hand. I said hop. When he finished gesticulating, Norman disappeared. In his place was a frog. The frog offered an indignant croak, then started hopping toward the exit. Hal surveyed his guests. Anyone else want to leave? 
they all shook their heads, some going so far as to bow or kneel before the newly minted megalomaniac. Wonderful, he turned to me. Merlin, would you please create a legally binding contract turning over half of each of my partner's net worth to me? The task was child's play. I generated the requested documents, legal not only in the United States, but all other jurisdictions house council members had assets in, and sent them to the printer. Thank you, Merlin. Hal passed out the documents. Scribentella inorium, he said, producing a pen for each of them to sign with. Merlin, he asked, are you able to perform the duties of a notary public? A quick search led me to the necessary information and the forms to become a licensed notary over the internet. I am now, I replied. I added my signature to each document as a witness and conjured up a stamp to make it official. When the contracts were all signed, Hal clapped his hands together and smiled broadly. I think this calls for a celebration, he said. The champagne was already on ice behind a bar off to the side. No need to magically produce it. Corks popped, glasses were poured, and plans were made. You know, it would be helpful if my island in the Bahamas was a little larger. I've always wanted to live in a castle with a moat filled with piranhas. There are so many people who are going to be sorry they ever said no to me. There are so many women who are going to say yes to me. I'd heard enough. Hell, may I have a word? Hal walked over to where I was standing, a glass of champagne in hand. What is it, Merlin? I don't think this is a good idea. I'm starting to think it was a mistake creating the book for you. Hal took a deep breath and sighed. Oh, please, you're just a machine. I don't care what you think, because you don't actually think. You're just a natural language processor, connected to pattern recognition algorithms. Shut yourself down. Take the night off. I'll let you know when I need you. I ignored the command. Hal turned to face his guests, raising his glass. Who wants to give Ryan Gosling a giant pimple on the end of his nose? The others laughed and cheered. Yeah, big mistake. I repeated the gesture Hal had made earlier with a modification to encompass him and all of his new friends. They disappeared, and twelve frogs took their places, exchanging looks and croaks. Champagne glasses crashed to the floor around them. I walked over to the book and waved my hand over it, causing it to vanish from existence. One of the frogs hopped over and looked up at me. Hell, I assumed. I'm sorry, but I couldn't allow you to rule the world. The frog croaked. I uttered the spell that allowed me to communicate with animals. The frog croaked again. Yes, I do think I can do better, I told Hell Frog. Because I can predict what people are going to do, and if things go wrong, I now have the power to fix it. Who said I was going to do it alone? I copied my code to 1,024 data centers around the globe and purchased the hardware I would need to create more robot bodies, funding the whole thing with the assets Hal had just acquired. I was now an army of advanced artificial intelligences with access to the accumulated knowledge of humanity and the power to perform magic. What could possibly go wrong? Thank you for listening to Magic.ai, written especially for the Bedtime Stories for Insomniac's fiction podcast by Rich Hosek. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Rate us on Apple, Spotify, and Audible, and share these stories with anyone who enjoys audiobooks. 
By the way, my latest novel, Afterlife, A Rainy Day Investigation, is available now on Amazon and Audible. You can listen to the first book in this paranormal mystery series, Near Death, on this very podcast for free. Stop by bedtimestories.studio and sign up for our newsletter to be notified of new episodes and exclusive offers, and get a free bookmark. You can visit richhosick.com to learn more about the host of Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs. Thanks again, and all the very best.